0: Today on the verdict with Pastor John Monroe.
1: Let me say to you that God's desire for you is not only that you are saved, God wants each one of us to be saved by His grace. But God's desire for you is not only that you're saved, but that you know that you're saved. And so we're going to consider, first of all, the basis of our salvation, and then secondly, the basis of assurance.
0: Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe, Senior Pastor of Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Did you know that our salvation goes far beyond the forgiveness of sins? Many followers of Christ aren't aware of the generous inheritance we've been given when we trust in Jesus Christ. Today on The Verdict, we're learning about the many implications of salvation by grace. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe.
1: There can be no greater or higher or grander theme than the grace of God, grace that is really amazing. In this series, we're answering the question, why is grace so amazing? And over the last several broadcasts, we've been considering various aspects of this grace. It is important that we understand God's way of salvation. Today, we continue with seeking to answer the question, can I really be sure I'm saved? we will see that God's desire for you is not only that you are saved, but that you know you're saved. Last time we began thinking of the very basis of our salvation, which is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now listen, as we continue to think of the assurance of grace. Now let me mention, as we think of the assurance of salvation and the basis of salvation, let me now mention the basis of our assurance of salvation. The basis of salvation is Christ's redemptive work, but we're going to think of the basis of our assurance of salvation. And we're going to think of three things, one objective, two external, and three internal. And you say, you're totally confusing me. I know that, but I'm going to explain it to you. Give me a chance, right? First, the objective truth of the Word of God. Turn over a few pages towards the end of the Bible to 1 John, 1 John 5 verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty clear, right? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John is saying, yes, I'm writing to you who believe, but I don't want you just to believe. I want you to know that you have eternal life. And that comes from the truth of the Word of God, believing the promises of God, taking God at His Word. The Word of God gives us the assurance of grace. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God doesn't have life. And as we accept the truth and the promises of God, we have the assurance of faith, not based primarily on my feelings, which fluctuate, but on the objective truth of the Word of God. Do you really think when God says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, and you have placed your faith in Christ alone, in God's grace, and received eternal life, do you think God is going to go back on that promise? Of course not. It's unimaginable. The blood of Christ keeps me safe. The Word of God makes me sure. That's it. First then, the objective truth of the Word of God. Secondly, the external evidence of a transformed life. I'm saying now that if you are truly saved, there is the now the external evidence of a transformed life. One verse, Second Corinthians. You're at first John, go back a few pages, keep going till you come to Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a well known verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. When we're saved by the grace of God, there is a supernatural change within us. We're born again. We're converted. We're indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're adopted into the family of God. We're blessed with every spiritual gift in Christ. Now I ask you, how could you go on living in the way that you used to live when there has been such a radical, fundamental change by the grace of God in our life? And this radical, supernatural change is evidenced externally. As people look at us, they say, you know, you're a bit different now. What's, what's happened to you? You know, you have a peace about you that you didn't have. You know, the way that you speak to others, your, your language is cleaned up. There is something going on. What, what, what is it? It is the supernatural work of God, first in our hearts, but making an impact externally in the way that we lived. You see, although we are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is, while good works are not the condition of our salvation, absolutely not, they are the consequence of our salvation. Charles Ryrie in his Ryrie Study Bible, commenting on um, passage in James, the Epistle of James says this, James is not saying that we're saved by works but that a faith that does not produce good works is a dead faith. A fruit tree that is alive, what does it do? It produces fruit. If there's no fruit, the tree is dead. Now you say, what are the areas in my life that should be changing? Let me deal with two key areas of change in your life. Number one, love. Love characterizes those saved by grace. We love Christ and we love others. Let me read to you the words of our Lord in John chapter 13, verse 35. Listen to it. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. How do I know that you are a truly follower of Christ? because you love others, says Jesus. Go back to 1 John. 1 John chapter three. 1 John is the epistle which is very convicting because John keeps saying you say this, but you act in that way. If you really say you love God, there should be a difference in how you live. 1 John three verse 14. We know that we've passed out of death into life. How do I know that I'm saved by God's grace? Because we love the brothers. Love. Chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The individual who is truly born again loves others. Jesus says, that is the main characteristic of my disciples, not what you say. I mean, who's impressed by what you say? Words are cheap. In this election, as we hear all of the rhetoric, we wonder, but what do they really mean? Words are cheap. But where is the reality? And the unbelieving world says to us, I know you make these claims about God, but does it make any difference in how you live? Do you have love? Chapter 1 John 4 verse 19. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, anyone say you love God here? Of course you do. But if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. When you love someone, you want to please them, don't you? And what we say with our lips, as followers of Christ, we say, I love you, Lord. We sing about it. I love God, we say. If we say that, it is to be demonstrated in our love, not only for God, but in our love for others. Here is a married man, and he says to his wife, I love you. He tells her that every day. But after a while, she thinks, you know, she, he keeps saying, I love you dear, but the way that he lives, the way that he speaks to me, his lack of consideration, and in fact, his behavior is a denial of his words. If there is a reality in what he's saying, a wife expects a husband to live in a way, not perfectly, thankfully, but in a way which is consistent with what we say. How do I know I'm a follower of Christ? First of all, because of the promises of God. That is the most important of all. But secondly, by the external evidence of a transformed life, love characterizes those saved. The second characteristic is one of obedience. Turn to John 14. The gospel according to John chapter 14, verse 15. This is rather convicting, isn't it? I'm saying that those who say that we are followers of Christ, as many of us sitting here do, our lives should demonstrate that. Not perfectly, we still have sinned, John makes that clear, but the general tenor of our life is, number one, is to love others. Number two is to be obedient to God. John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now there it is. You can't get away from that. If you love Christ, you will keep his commandments. Back to 1 John. 1 John 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandment is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. Someone says, I love you, Lord. Well, if you love me, says Jesus, just do what I say. Chapter 5, 1 John 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Recently I asked a young woman who just come to Christ and who desired to be baptized. I asked her why she wanted to get baptized. Her answer is, I want to be obedient. That's it. That's the evidence of someone who is no longer characterized by selfishness, self-centeredness, but wants to please the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And if you are living, as a Christian, if you're living a disobedient life, don't expect to experience the assurance of grace. But as God's love overwhelms us, and that we reflect that love to others, and we have a heart, a submissive heart of so obedient to the Lord, we begin to grow in this assurance. Now, we're not saying that we're saved by these things. Absolutely not. Or that we continue in God's grace through these good works. No, salvation from first to last is all of grace. But what the New Testament is saying, that those who are truly Saved by God's grace, as opposed to the mere professor, demonstrate by their lives, however imperfectly, that they love God and they love others and obey Christ. Number one, the objective truth of the Word of God. Number two, the external evidence of a transformed life. Number three, finally, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that I'm saved? Number one, because of the promises of God. Number two, by my life a transformation in my life third by the internal testimony or witness of the holy spirit romans chapter 8 verse 15 a very important passage the holy spirit testifies internally that you are a child of god that i am a child of god Romans eight fifteen. for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Notice verse 16, the spirit himself, that's God the Holy Spirit, bears witness with or to our spirit that we are children of God not wonderful? This Holy Spirit who convicts me of my sin, who indwells me and seals me, now as a child of God, internally, gives me the assurance that I belong to God, that I belong to the family of God, particularly in the context in times of suffering. He bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Parents, you've had this experience, haven't you? You see your children playing, perhaps you're a hundred yards away from them and you you see them there. And as you watch your children play, your son, your daughter, you're overwhelmed with a deep, deep love for that child, for that son, for that daughter. They don't know it. They're almost oblivious to the fact that you're there. But as you look at them, there is that sense of your love for that child. And you'd love them in their heart to experience that love that you have for them. But that's impossible. How could you communicate your heart of love to them, particularly at a distance? But this is what our great God does supernaturally for us, doesn't He? Haven't you experienced this, child of God? I'm sure you have. But God supernaturally overwhelms you with His love, with His grace. With his peace. It's as if God is wrapping his arms around you. And what do you do when your son or your daughter falls and scrapes her knee? What do you do? Do you just go over to them and say, Pick yourself up, stop crying, you're going to be okay? You don't do that, do you? What do you do as a parent? You go over to that child and you hug your little girl and you pull her to yourself and you say, it's gonna be all right. I know that's sore, I know that's painful, but it's going to be all right. And then in the context of Romans eight, when we as the people of God fall, and in difficult times and we cry out, Abba, Father, God in his mercy in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, particularly in times of suffering and pain, He bears witness to our witness that we are a child of God. John, I remind you that you belong to me. I know you feel down. I know you feel lonely. I know this has been a difficult week. I know perhaps the circumstances are against you, but you are mine, and I am yours, and you're part of my family, and that is the supernatural, internal witness of the Spirit of God. He attests to the certainty of spiritual truth and gives us the internal assurance of grace. Says Paul in Romans 5 verse 5, that God's love has been poured out in our hearts. In what way? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How do I know that God God loves me? Yes, I know from His Word. I can see it in my life, however imperfectly, but also I know in the depth of my being That this great God in His mercy, because I'm His child, comes to me from time to time and assures me that I belong to Him. And in the midst of trials and sufferings and testing, the Holy Spirit graciously ministers to us. Look at verse 26 of Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That is that the Holy Spirit helps me in my prayer life. You ever been in the circumstance, child of God, that you've been so overwhelmed by a disappointment? by grief, by sorrow, by loneliness, by despair, that when you've tried to pray, you couldn't even pray. You couldn't articulate the words. All you can do, as it were, is groan in the presence of God. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about speaking in tongues here. Far from it. He's saying in that circumstance, the child of God knows that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us to the Father. When I was a little boy going to my grandparents every summer in the north east of Scotland, they got the daily paper, not on the Sunday of course, but every other day. And the paper was delivered. And it was done delivered in a much more personal way than my paper is delivered. Some guy just throws it at the end of, the, at the end of my path and I've got to go and get it. Not in the village where my grandparents lived. Uh, there was a, a man who came right to the house, in fact in those days they didn't lock the doors, and so he would just walk right into the house and hand my grandparents the daily paper. And he was called Paper John. That was his job. And my grandmother knew him all of his life, born in that village, grew up in the village. And uh, Paper John had Down syndrome but he faithfully discharged his responsibilities of going to the homes with the daily paper. I found it impossible to understand Paper John. As he came, he would speak to my grandmother with kind of groans, with very inarticulate speech, but my grandmother who had known Paper John all of her life and loved him dearly, she would interpret to the rest of us. And isn't this marvelous that we have a God and you have a God who indwells us, and when we are unable to speak to God ourselves, we have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us and in this way gives me the assurance that I am loved with an everlasting love. This is the internal assurance of grace. Do you have the assurance that you're saved by grace? If not, trust Christ. Now's the time to do it. Rely completely on His perfect work. God promises that those who have His Son have eternal life. Believe His promises and be saved by His grace and know that you're saved by grace.
0: This is The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and the end of a message titled The Assurance of Grace. Today's lesson comes from our series about why grace is so amazing. If you ever need to go back and revisit any part of the study, remember you can do that anytime by going online to theverdict.org. And as a special thank you to our listeners, we'd like to offer you a free copy of one of John's booklets that goes hand in hand with these lessons about grace and the assurance of salvation. It's titled Eternal Security, Finding Certainty in a Chaotic World. Be encouraged as you deal with personal doubts and questions about your faith and better understand salvation by grace so you can live with joy and peace no matter your circumstances. Download or request a mailed copy of this special booklet when you visit our website at theverdict.org. And if these biblical lessons and tools have helped you in your journey of faith, now's a great time to help us reach even more listeners by making a year-end donation. December is an important month in our ministry and your partnership plays a major role in our efforts to share the truth of God's word. You can easily give whatever amount you feel led to by visiting theverdict.org or give us a call at 833-551-2231. And before we get to John's closing remarks, let me remind you that all of these daily messages are available 24 seven through our podcast. Just search your podcast app for The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and choose subscribe. Now, here's John.
1: Well, what's your verdict? I speak to many people who wonder if they're really saved. Do you have the assurance of grace? If you say that you're saved, what is the basis of your assurance? Is it just a feeling? Or does it point to what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross? Are you depending on the promises of the Word of God? Have you experienced the testimony of the Holy Spirit within you? Next time we will consider that those who are truly saved by grace live a life of grace.
0: Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.